you can watch an entire like Chinese weightlifting, the Chinese Olympic team weightlifting training session. And what you'll notice is how much time they spend with an empty barbell in super light loads doing specific warmups. Cause that's where you improve your movement patterns. Once you are then into threshold or above, it's like, you shouldn't be thinking about stuff. So there's a specific warm-up to prime the body for the actual specific movement patterns you are about to do. In our world, I love to wrap that up with a uh, practice round. So literally like a, let's say we're doing um, Christine, which is row 500, 12 deadlifts, 21 box jumps. You, you should actually do a practice round working on the movements in that order. So row 100 to 200 meters, do three to six deadlifts and do three to six box jumps in order at a game pace intensity. Then take two, three minutes, let your heart rate come back down. And now we're ready to go. We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run, always chasing, never stop. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben? I'm doing really good, Pat. Thanks, we are buddy. back with a two-minute drill. Two-minute drill for those folks who don't know is when I uh, dive into my Instagram DMs and I pull out some really good questions that listeners send us. If you want to get one on the list, it's a long list, but but uh, I love getting new questions. Um, you can just find me on Instagram, PS Cummings, drop me a DM, um, and I'll add it to our list and get to it hopefully soon. So we've got 10 or 12 questions. These questions, uh, the challenge to you, Ben, is to answer them within two minutes, which uh, some days you succeed at and some days it's an absolute and complete failure. So we'll see. Someday we should do like a, a, like a bing, like when the time goes and off. And you just stop talking. Just, how, just to see how far yeah. over I am. Actually, I can probably... Or like a countdown timer for people that are watching on YouTube. Like a I can probably timer. turn your mic off at one point. Maybe I'll just do that and just, you'll just stop talking. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. First question we've got. You guys, you guys talk it. often about, quote, being the kind of person who, why is it valuable for a person to add a layer between them and their goal rather than just saying, I do X, Y, Z, fill in the blank? Is it to add accountability to create cognitive dissonance that has to be resolved or something else? Um, so, okay. So some context to this is um, we've used this in the reference of um, like sticking with a goal. And if let's say your goal is to um, run a sub four hour marathon and you know, in order to do that, you have to follow a certain process and that process involves running four or five times a week. And um, one morning when you get up to do your before work run, there's six inches of snow on the ground and it's, it's 35 degrees out and raining. Well, if you're not the type of person that goes running in six inches of snow and cold rain, you're not going to do that because you're the type of person you're not. So what it ends up becoming is a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. We as human beings are confirmation seeking machines. We have this confirmation bias. We want to be right. We want to live in accordance with the, the views that we have of ourselves. So if we view ourselves a certain way, we're going to then act a certain way. So it is exactly for those reasons that we want to tell ourselves, I am the type of person that is willing to have hard conversations. I'm the type of person that is vulnerable and shares my um, my um, love with uh, my significant other. I'm the type of person that is caring and reaches out to people that I haven't talked to in a long mm -hmm. time. I'm the type of person that does hard things, whether that's 
meditation, journaling, whether that's going for runs in the cold. So it's just another level of identity. Now, this is probably where the two minute thing would go, <laughs> but, but here's the thing that's the highest level of that is this person's right. You don't do that. The very, very high, this is a step towards, this is a higher level than just setting a goal of like four hour marathon. You will do better if you become the type of person that follows this process. But ultimately, the highest level of conscious evolution that we're seeking, there is, when you go, I am, there is nothing that fills in the blank after that. But we'll save that for another episode. Yeah, it actually, it makes me think about Scott Adams, the the author, or I guess is an author of Dilbert, the cartoon. Um, he He's written about, and I, rather, I've, I've seen it from him in one of his books, this idea of um, systems being better than goals. And, and I don't know if I've fully connected those two things, this, 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 this idea that um, this question's about, right, I be, being the kind of person who, in some way, that's very identity-based, but it's also kind of systems-based. If you think about the, the example you gave with the running, the system is, no matter what, I go out and I, I do my run first thing in the morning, as opposed to my goal is to r- run the marathon. If you focus only on the system, it, it in fact does similar thing to this identity idea, right? So it's it's like, what is the identity? What is the system you have in place to enforce that identity? And that's going to that ultimately is what's going to get you closer to the goal. People don't. I love that so much, Patrick. People don't have a hard time setting goals, like they just don't. Like, I want to lose ten pounds. I want to be able to run a mile um, comfortably. I want to be a CEO. I want to be famous. I want to have 10,000 followers. I'm like, it's so easy to set goals. So it's not the goals. It's just, it's not the goals. It's the process. It's a process that we, and the process is freaking hard. So in order to follow a hard process, you need patience, you need commitment, you need dedication, you need discipline, you need fortitude, you need resilience, you need all of these things. So like, I want to be loved. Like, okay. So like everybody wants that, but if you're not the type of person that is willing to be vulnerable and love others, it's always going to be on the other side. It's not about the goal. Love that. Next question. I have been attending a CrossFit gym for about six months and I love it. I struggle with being more extroverted in class. I'm naturally very introverted and worry that people in the gym think negative of me. Everyone in the gym is very nice and positive. I just worry that because I'm so introverted, they think that I'm negative or something along those lines. Yeah, that's a cool question. I appreciate it a lot because I... It's strange that I have a podcast, but I'm also extremely introverted. So the like extreme, like um, high school, like it, like painfully so. I, I I can I feel like this is my memory, and maybe it's skewed. And um, but I remember like days upon days where I don't remember talking mm. at all, like period yeah. zero. I was probably the same. Um, yeah. So I can um, I can I sympathize, I empathize, I relate. Um, I feel like if I was going into a CrossFit gym that I had no friends at, that would be me. So here's my suggestion is, um, don't worry about trying to be extroverted. Like that's just, that's, that's not who you are, but be aware of body language. Body language is the thing that communicates way more than anything you're going to say. Anyway, you don't, you, everyone is so positive and I forgot what the other word they use, supportive, whatever it was. Um, you can do that as well through body language. So if you're quiet and reserved and you have a scowl on your face and you have your eyebrows furrowed and your teeth gritted and you're looking down at the ground the whole time, um, that's going to come across as what, just what you're afraid mm-hmm. of. If you're quiet 
and you give polite nods and really good making eye contact and your mouth is slightly turned up and you um, are really good at making, um, you know, making people feel good just by your presence of being there, you're going to be the kind, sweethearted person in the corner. Like, and that's, that's all it sounds like. That's all you're looking for. Love that. Next question. I go to a CrossFit gym where the head coach or and owner is constantly preaching methods, whether it's uh, is constantly preaching methods, whether it's a trendy diet or suggesting a vegetarian diet is optimal for performance or different recovery methods, mm -hmm. um, all that have no no scientific evidence supporting them or that are just wrong. As a member, how do I go about handling this? Should I say something? How should I handle other other gym friends who follow that advice blindly? Okay, that's a that's a good question. Um, I would, I don't know the answer yeah, to that, that's a tough one. <laughs> um, but my suggestion would be first off would be to check your yourself. Like, do you know whether this advice is good or not? Um, and that's just the first place I would go. And I'm not saying that I'm not saying you're wrong, but, um, it's very easy for us to say, like, I know that this diet is better when somebody else says that this is a healthier way whether it's vegetarian or anything else of just like shutting them off and being like, this is, um, I, 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 I like the idea of like having some scientific backing for it, but also realize that, you know, every single food study essentially has always been kind of biased in some form or fashion because it's really freaking hard to do a nutritional study that is efficacious. Um, not to, eat up to two minutes. But in order to do that, think of what you have to do to actually do a real nutritional study. You have to get a big enough cohort of people, do it over a long enough period of time to see the long-term effects of this nutrition. So a decade, and you have to control all other factors. <laughs> so in other words, it's impossible. Yeah. You'd have to imprison people for over, maybe they could do in prisons. There you go. So maybe it's not yeah. possible. That's probably cruel and unusual um, punishment. Okay. But now having said that, to answer the real question is I, I would, I think the person like said would, um, should I have a conversation? Yeah, what, what, what should I do in this situation? What should I do? I would, I would actually have the conversation with the coach and with the owner and just ask truly from a um, interest of curiosity of that's really interesting um, that you say that a vegan diet is the number one thing for performance. Um, I would love to dig into this further. Where, what books are you reading? Where did you hear this? What resources can I lean into? So that you can figure out where they're getting the information from. And they're like, it's just my own experience. Okay. Then maybe like have the suggestion with the person that maybe what we should do is expand things beyond our own personal experiences because everyone's a case study of one and what works for you might not work for everybody. And what you've worked for the last three weeks might make you feel good for three weeks, vegetarian honeymoon it's yeah. called. Um, and, but in the long term, over three, four, five, ten 10 years might not be the best thing for performance. So um, that's where I would go with that is, is start with the conversation and, and ask them out true curiosity um, where they're getting their – what's their resources. I have a member who's been training for just under two years. No matter the exercise, she's unable to follow instructions. It's like she's in her own little world. When we reverse lunge, she forward lunges. When, she, when, when we push press, she strict presses. When we squat clean, she power cleans. Am I, am I too concerned with this or do I just let her do whatever she does and focus on other things? I don't know if you're too concerned with it because I don't know how yeah, concerned you concerned are. Concerned enough to, to ask the question. Um, no, I think it's a good question to ask. So I don't think you're too concerned. <laughs> um, having said that, I don't think it's a mm -hmm. big thing. Uh, but I would want to – if this was happening in my class, I would want to understand why. 
So as tactfully as I could, I would have the conversation with that athlete about this. And we've had this situation where we had a member that literally um, was not literally figuratively chasing butterflies around the room as we were, because we don't have butterflies in our, um, as we were going through our, you know, barbell warm up, And it was distracting to say the least until I had a conversation with the person and realized um, what was going on. Medical condition, epilepsy, seizures, can't pay attention, massive, massive, massive levels of ADHD, cannot stand, like can't be still. Their feet cannot be still for more than like three or four seconds. Once I understood that, it changed the perspective of which I was coached. Now, like, um, and um, with permission, shared that with other people and everyone was super supportive of it as opposed to the opposite. By the way, incredible mm. athlete, like incredible. Um, so, but one of those things that like with um, perspective brought so much understanding. Without the perspective, it's like, it looks like dissidence. It looks like purposeful disobedience. So if it is purposeful disobedience, I'd want to know that yeah. as well and have the conversation. And if it was just to be um, disruptive, that's not a person to have in your class. If it's like a medical condition, gosh, you're doing so much for that person. Both of your, both the last two answers, uh, both made me think of the, the, what we talked about previously about Ted Lasso, that quote, um, be curious, not judgmental. Right. Both of them ultimately is kind of the, the answer that you just gave was for both of them is, is well, actually figure out what's going on here. <laughs> we should just steer people away from chasing excellence and to Ted Lasso. <laughs> should continue doing that. Um, I just listened to the Matt. I just listened to the Matt Fitzgerald episode and he mentioned how we programmed low intensity workouts 80% of the time and high intensity workouts 20% of the time. How do you gauge low versus high intensity workouts in CrossFit? Um, they don't exist in CrossFit. Mm. It's 0%. <laughs> you're not doing low intensity in CrossFit. If you are, you're not doing CrossFit. CrossFit is constantly varied movements. They're are constantly varied function movements performed at relatively high intensity. So mm. you're not. What we need to understand is that what he's chasing is endurance. What we are not chasing is endurance. We're chasing peak health and performance. So it's apples and oranges. Having said that, there is a place for lower intensity in our world. It's just not in the workouts. If you're in the workouts, you're missing the point of the workout. What everyone in our space does though is they, not everyone, what most people do most of the time in our space is they don't even train with high intensity. They skip training and go right to yeah. competing and everything is maximal effort. Yeah. That's Remember, that's not what CrossFit is. CrossFit is not constantly varied functional performance performed at maximal intensity. It does not say maximal intensity. It says high intensity. That's a huge thing that people are missing. People think that if they don't end up on the floor after their rowing session, they did it wrong. That's not correct. It's high intensity. Now, every day, every now and then we can put the throttle down and go maximal intensity, but that's reserved for the very few times. I would say 10%. Mm -hmm. 10% of your training volume should be include maximal intensity at the most. If you're a master's athlete, it goes drastically down from that. From there, we want majority of our training to be just that training, which is that high intensity world. What people are missing in our space is what um, we're talking about here, which is the low intensity world, which is practice. Very, very few people in our space practice anything. They just go in, they grab a barbell, they do maybe like uh, a couple elbow rotations with the barbell. They pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down, three deadlifts. And they're, you know, maybe they do a front squat with it and they're like 
throw on the red plates <laughs> and yep. and then they do two reps there and they're like throw on another set of like now we're at 185 and then they and they're jumping like very few people are are practicing practice is low intensity this is what we're talking about um, but it's done for a different purpose than what he's talking about you build up massive amounts of aerobic base by doing long quote unquote slow distance training and this is the heart and soul of all um, endurance-based sports, mm -hmm. whether it's um, Olympic rowing, whether it's triathlon, swimming. So a, a, a swimmer, even if you're competing in the, the 100 meter, you might do 10,000 meters of swimming a day. Like it's just super high volume. So CrossFit's the opposite of that. So don't get confused in terms of what we were talking about in the last podcast um, with Matt Fitzgerald, which is phenomenal stuff with what we're chasing and pursuing in CrossFit. Got it. Next question. How do I train myself out of taking really long breaks during workouts? I seem to just stop mid-workout and start looking around and distracting myself from doing the work. I lose focus as soon as I get a little bit uncomfortable, it seems. Okay, so I'm gonna lean into that. I, I, so there's a lot of reasons that somebody could be doing this, but I'm gonna lean into that last one because I think that last part is I, I, when it gets uncomfortable, I seem to lose focus. Um, and uh, the thing we're trying to negate here is big, long breaks. So my suggestion here is um, do shorter sets. Mm. So what I mean by this is let's say we're doing um, Angie, um, which is 100 pull-ups, 100 push-ups, 100 sit-ups, whatever it is, you know, hundreds. Instead of going and doing like 35 pull-ups, dropping to the elbows on knees, for 25 seconds, searching for a chalk bucket for 15 seconds, chalking up for another 20 seconds, staring at the bar, looking at the clock, and you get it, right? Instead, do much smaller sets to the point where maybe we chart training with singles for a, um, uh, for a period of time, whether that's a week, two weeks, three weeks, a month, three months, I don't know. Depends on the athlete. But what I mean by that is, instead of trying to go guns a-blazing on your burpees, and try like then all of a sudden you get like 15 burpees in and you have to put hands on knees or walk around or stare at the clock or distract yourself. Instead, try doing very slow burpees that there is no stop. Essentially, once your feet hit the ground, we call them breathing burpees. After you come off the ground, you reach up in the air, you clap overhead, your feet hit the ground. Go do another one. Hands on the ground, chest on the ground, jump back up, hands clap overhead. Go do another one. Same thing with pull-ups. Instead of doing 20 unbroken pull-ups only to then be like walking around for a long time or 20 unbroken cleans only be walking around a long time, literally try singles on your pull-ups. Literally try singles on your cleans. Like break them down much, much slower. If you feel like you do it after a model structural movement, meaning like running or rowing or something like that, ski or biking, go at a lower pace. So honestly, it means going slower to go faster. Because what you're doing is sprint. Imagine we're running a 5K and you're sprinting 100 yards and then stopping for a long time and then sprinting to the next 100 yards only to stop again. That's a ridiculous way to run <laughs> yeah. a 5K, which would take you 20 to 24 minutes. That's a lot of CrossFit workouts. The better way than sprinting and stopping a CrossFit workout, sprinting and stopping, is just to smooth it out and keep constant motion and jog the 5K. And once you can do that without stopping, then you speed up your jogging pace. And that's how you get rid of the big breaks. 
Should you still refuel after a workout if you train in the evening? Sometimes when I get home from the gym, I get thrown right back into mom life. And by the time I realize I'm hungry from working out, it's about 8 p.m. Is this too late? Okay. I love the awareness aspect of this question. Um, so mom sometimes gets done. She trains after work, it sounds like. She gets home. Um, she doesn't even realize and she doesn't eat till 8. Uh, so first one is... Um, if you're getting the food in, you're getting the calories in, you're getting the macronutrients across the board, um, across the day, doesn't matter that much. Timing is like, unless you're trying to be a really competitive athlete, timing is not that important. So as long as you're getting the meal in, um, I'm not going to say it's life or death. I'm not going to say don't, uh, don't worry about it that much. But if you timing does matter, you are trying to, you know, get the, the 5% at the top. Um, my suggestion would be have a snack ready for yourself mm -hmm. after this is Honestly, this is the reason why people do shakes. This is the reason for a post-workout shake. Eating food after a high-intensity workout is really hard. Like, okay, just finished Fran. Where's the grilled chicken? Like, that's really tough. Yeah. Like, you know, just did a 2K row. Um, gosh, I can't wait to dig into the, the grilled veggies. Like, that's not the most appealing thing for most people. That's why most people try to have a – that's the reason why people have shakes is because liquid is a lot easier. And if you put some carbs and protein in that afterwards, there you're solving that problem. So – um, if you plan on having a meal uh, an hour later when you get home, um, just make the shake smaller. Maybe like 15 grams of protein, 20 grams of protein, and 20 to 30 grams of carbs. Um, you know, and the carbs could come maybe if it's on shake because you don't want to do that. The carbs could be chew on some raisins, mm -hmm. some dried fruit, a banana. Um, but there are plenty of um, supplement forms for protein and for carbohydrates. My coach has always coached the handstand walk with both feet together and toes pointed. However, most, if not all CrossFit Games athletes do not seem to do this. I can do both, but seem to default to the, to the feet separated and knees bent style in Metcons. I don't know what, I don't know which way to train. Please help. Yeah. The, uh, the reason you're having an issue is because they're both right. <laughs> um, they're, they're absolutely 100% both right. The um, leg straight, toes pointed is a gymnastics handstand walk. And if you were in a gymnastics setting and you did the other one, you're going to get scored very, very poorly. <laughs> because remember, gymnastics is a scored event based off of people's perception. It's like figure skating. Mm -hmm. Like they say like, this is how good that was. Whereas our sport is um, empirical, if that's even the right. It's, it's, it's numbers. It's it is um, your score is how long it took you to get there or how many reps you completed. And it's faster to do it the other way. It just doesn't look as pretty. So what we're doing is we're sacrificing prettiness. And it's, it's people that say like, no, you should be doing the gymnastics one because it is the right way to do it. And you will do better in a CrossFit workout. They're wrong. And it makes total sense. Like, okay, sprint a hundred meters with your hands in your pockets. <laughs> Like it's going to be slower. Like it's going to be slower. You're, you, when you bend your knees and your feet flap back and forth, you have a counterbalance for your body. You are running. You are sprinting. That makes sense. When you sprint with your legs, your arms move. When you sprint with your arms, your legs should move. Like that's the that's what it I'm looks just like. Thinking about I mean, myself. Just, once you hear it, it sounds like so. It's so yeah. obvious. But I get it that there's this dichotomy. There's this um, conflict between what um, gymnastics coach are doing and we're doing handstand walking. So we're supposed to do it the way handstand walking is taught in gymnastics. Yes. But also like watch professional um, uh, cross country skiers on a ski erg. A crossfitter will annihilate mm. a cross country skier on a ski erg because they do it the way that they cross country ski. 
where we do it with the most efficient way to generate the most power out of that thing. It looks different. And because, because of that, we're not trying to match the sport. We're trying to get as much power out of what we can do. So if you're going to that gymnastics coach because he wants you to look prettier and look better and you want to look prettier and look better, do it his way. If you want to get faster times in your Metcon, do it the way the CrossFit Games athletes do it. Next question. Any tips for finding a coach to coach daytime classes in a small town? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I, my suggestion would be it doesn't matter whether it's a small town or a big town. It would be um, is there anybody in your community that you really like? You know, and that's the biggest one that like the community thrives around that like um, um, echoes your values, um, you know, that you think would be a good coach. Uh, don't worry so much about the coaching skills aspect to it. A lot of that can be taught um, and ask that person if they'd like to come on as a um, an intern for a little while, an unpaid intern to learn the craft. And if they're like, nope, then cool. You got to wait until the next person pops along. Um, the other way, depending on how, um, how, um, lucrative, how, how financially sound your affiliate is, is you can recruit from, from outside. And if you're willing to pay a coach to move there, then you can advertise anywhere. Um, particularly if you're willing to, um, compensate the athlete for their moving expenses, like we'll pay for your first last security for moving, um, just to get somebody in the door. So it depends on how, how, um, how much money your gym is making and how um, eager you are to get a, a high level coach. Hypothetical question that, that, that kind of pops in my head as I think about this too. Uh, would you rather, or would you advise somebody if, if the option was that they had between a subpar coach doing the noon class, just say, would you rather it be a, a subpar coach doing a noon class or no noon class at all? What do you think? What do you think is better uh, for that gym for that for that business in the long in the long term? It depends on how subpar someone sure. is. If you mean like we're going to take our our average coach and they're they're going to be like our one of our one of our below average coaches, but not not our worst, then definitely have a new right. class. If you mean like they're going to drag down the reputation of the gym because they're subpar, mm -hmm. definitely no new yeah. class. And just kind of in general, like we. Um, one of the sayings that one of the principles that we operate by is it's better to do a kick-ass half than a half-ass whole. So it's much better for a gym to have three classes a day that are, I'm going to use a new, like that are fire, <laughs> like that are just like, like I'll use an old term, like three dope <laughs> classes a day that have like 25 people. They're busting at the seams. There's so much energy. People are clamoring to get in there. Um, that's a better business model than it is to have 10 classes and the classes have three or four people in them. There's no energy. Um, that's a better business model. Um, it's a, it's a better business. That business has uh, a better chance of long-term survival than the one that's trying to solve everything for everyone and create the, the whole, right? So if you're going to open up a gym from day one starting, this is when I advise gyms. The, the advice is not like, if you build it, they will come. Don't go in like, we have a 5.30 a.m., 6.30 a.m., 7.30, 8.30, 9.30 a.m. We have a two noon classes, one before 11 and one at 12. And we have five classes at night that run until nine o'clock at night. It's, that's the worst thing you can do. Because at best, you might open the doors and maybe you get 100 members. 
So 100 members divided across 12 classes, you know, 60% attendance is awesome. The most you're going to have is like four or five people in a class. So much better to do three or four classes. Let's say three classes, like the original example, 100 members, 60% attendance, 60 people across three. That's 20 people in a class. That is so much better. Because environment. Because people are going to walk out of there and go, that thing was awesome. Because you're, you're, you're creating the environment. Yep. Yes. Love that. What are the most important elements of a warm up routine bef before each training session in order to be completely physically prepared? Okay. So that's, uh, I think there's two questions okay. in there. Um, what are the most important? Mm -hmm. And then what is, what is it to be completely physically prepared? So that's like, am I supposed to say like, the, uh, so maybe I'll yeah, what's in the middle of that Venn diagram. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, if I was to say the one thing to do before your warm up, so here I'm let me back to it the other way. Here's what I think of warm up entails. Um, um, the general there's a general warm up and a specific warm up. The general warm up it breaks into three parts: MMA. Um, it is mindset, it is mobility, and it is activation. So there is a mindset aspect to your warm up, which is this I. I just had this conversation with our academy athletes. Um, when you walk in the, the, in the gym, I don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point you need to, you need to click in, you need to lock in, you need to, I am a professional athlete. This is my two hour training session. This is my two hour block to pound on my craft and be the best that I can possibly be. So that's a, as a professional athlete for all of us though, at some point we got to kind of like flip the switch. We got to kind of go like, okay. I'm, this is not about, I'm not going to be focusing on, um, my kids, um, vent, you know, my kids diorama that I need help with later on tonight. The, I need I, building the Pinewood Derby thing for him or I, I, what is happening at work. At some point I got to click in and over to like, this is my hour to work on being physically fit. So there's a mindset piece that can be a mantra. That could be a meditation session. So we've done everything from like, you close your eyes and you go, yo, I'm ready to do this. I am focused. It might just be that some sort of like mantra to click in. It might be 10 minutes of breathing practice I, and anything in between. But the first piece is mindset. The next one is mobility. And that is um, soft tissue work, foam rolling, um, using a band to get yourself into good positions. And you need to be able to get yourself in good positions. You need to kind of like open things up, find some end ranges. And um whether that's foam rolling, whether that's stretching, whether that's banded stuff, like Kelly Starrett stuff or whatever that is, like mobility. And the last one is activation. Activation, think of like um, owning those end range positions. So think like crossover symmetry, love, love, love. So honestly, when I talked to my athletes, I was like, I was explaining this. I was like, the activation is crossover symmetry or hip mm -hmm. halo. Like you're done. Like you do those two things. You've gotten your shoulders completely locked in and you've gotten your hips completely locked in. Like I just, I'm a huge fan of those two protocols. Each one, if you do them well, takes about four minutes. So honestly, if you do them both, you're under 10 minutes, you have activated everything. So that's the MMA. That's our general, oh, oh, sorry. Follow that by um, um, a, a, a warm. So some sort of like cardio something, whether it's jumping jacks or jump on a bike or go for a mile run or it's skier, 10 calories, 10 burp, whatever it is, like just get generally warm. And that's our warm up. MMA plus warm. So maybe it's MMAW. 
Um, and then there's the specific warm up. I realize now I'm, this was okay. two minute. Question. This is this is cool. This we haven't talked about this before. So this is cool. Okay. Then there's the then there's the specific warm up. So specific warm up is like when you grab the barbell, like if it's a barbell workout. It's like when you get on the rower if you're gonna do a 2k. It's when you um, get on the pull up bar if there's a pull up in it. It's like you're actually doing the specific movements. There is a great place to do what we talked about earlier in this podcast is to practice some stuff. Like literally practice the movement patterns, but also kind of like set it up. And what you realize in our space is people are really quick to jump through this. When we look at professionals, this is what they do so much. Like if you, it's not hard, like people should just do this. Like you can watch an entire like Chinese weightlifting, the Chinese Olympic team weightlifting training session. And what you'll notice is how much time they spend with an empty barbell in super light loads doing specific warmups. Because that's where you improve your movement patterns. Once you are then into threshold or above, it's like you shouldn't be thinking about stuff. So there's a specific warm-up to prime the body for the actual specific movement patterns you are about to do. In our world, I love to wrap that up with a uh, practice round. So literally like a – let's say we're doing um, Christine, which is row 500, 12 deadlifts, 21 box jumps. You, you should actually do a practice round working on the movements in that order. So row 100 to 200 meters, do three to six deadlifts and do three to six box jumps in order at a game pace intensity. Then take two, three minutes, let your heart rate come back down. And now we're ready to go. Love it. I don't remember what the question yep, was. You, know, <laughs> yep, like, you got it. Okay. Next question. Got two more. As a coach, what's the best thing to tell an athlete right before they take the floor, or in my case, a dancer taking the competition stage? You've mentioned that our brain's survival instinct is to pull the negative out of a statement. So I don't want to say, uh, don't get tired or remind them of their weakest technique, since I don't want them to focus on that and beat themselves up. But I also want, I, but I also don't want to fire them up and have them blow up in the, in the first 30 seconds of a 90 second performance. Uh, cool. Uh, Wow, there's so much I that I love in that. Mostly is like, this is a dancer and they're afraid that they're going to blow up in the first 30 seconds. Like, I have never danced like that. <laughs> like that. I want to see this. I want to see this dance. Like, I got to make sure I don't blow up this yeah. dancer. Like that they go out with so much veracity, <laughs> so much intensity that they can't like make it through 35 seconds. That's like, I'm honestly so curious and so inspired yeah. that this coach can't. I love right. it. So, uh, the, and also the like, person who sent this also to the person who sent this question and send me a video. And we want to we'll, we'll watch. Yeah. It. Um, also, really, really love like the intentionality uh, um, behind this coach. Like this coach is paying attention. Um, and the things we've alluded to before, just to give more context to this, is if you're a coach at the top of a ski hill and your bracer is about to go, and they're like clicking their poles, going in, like they're they're um, they're putting their um, poles over the starting gate, they're stomping their skis. And you as a coach are like, don't fall on turn number three. Like, <laughs> yeah, you don't want them to fall on turn number three, but you're saying don't fall on turn number three. You're actually putting in their head the, the thought of falling on turn number three because your body can't, your subconscious can't process the negative. So all it hears is to fall on turn number three. So much better for that coach to say like um, um, the actionable cue, right? Like get set up early for turn number three. Like boom. Now oh, that's all you have to say. So what you might want to do in this case with your dancer is just reinforce. So um, like we said, uh, I think the thing was something about like, don't want to reinforce the negative technique. Reinforce the, the, the positive cue. 
So I have no, I have no, <laughs> not even going to guess. I can't even give a good analogy for dance. Yes, I can't. Even, so I'll do it for my sport, right? Which is like, um, instead of saying like, don't pull early with your arms on the clean, that like reinforcing the bad thing that they do, you say, go get it. Remember to keep your arms straight on the clean. It's as simple as that. And that won't get them fired up. That won't get them overly, um, what I, I like to just like, I don't even like to give them that though, because I want my athletes to operate. I don't want them to be conscious at all. Like I want them to use their default. I want them to go in total flow state where they're not thinking about it at all. They're not thinking about the cues. They're just letting hours and hours of practice that they've done pounding on their craft flow through them in real time, just naturally, right? Nobody, no coach before a really crutch free throw goes, remember to fall through with your fingertips. <laughs> like yeah. it's insane. Like why bring all that awareness to something that they've practiced so many times? Instead, it's more of like a, you got this. You know, uh, when I did my TED talk, um, um, <laughs> literally I walked on the stage and, um, and right as I'm walking out, um, coach, the, the speech coach gives me a high five and goes, don't fuck it up. I was like, <laughs> oh my God. Like, okay. Um, anyway, but what I tell my athletes a lot of times is like, show me smart, show me strong. Like, that's what I, like, I give them a hug and just say in their ear, like, show me smart show me strong. Like don't go out and blow yourself up. Just like do what you can do and be freaking tough. I love that. Show me smart. Show me strong. Okay. Last question we've got as an affiliate owner, do you think it's important to watch what your competitors, other gyms in your town are doing, uh, whether, uh, whether it's equipment rates, community, et cetera, or just keep your head down and focus on what your gym is doing? Uh, I, um, I think it's something in between. Mm. And this is a really cool question. It's like, right? It's like, do you like go blinders on? I got it. I'm going full speed ahead. Focus on circle of control. There's no distractions whatsoever. Or is it like um, kill the competition, learn from them, um, use it as a chance to iterate and better yourself, learn the market. It's something in between. And I was talking with uh, my um, with Heather my wife, we were down, um, the Cape yesterday and we're staring out at the water and we we're both talking a lot about like, just this kind of like spiritual journey stuff that we're on. And she's like, um, it's important to, to look without looking. Now it sounds weird, right? But like, what I mean by that is be aware, like in, if you, if you don't realize that, um, like the market is evolving, you, you're going to be left behind. So you have to have this, some sort of level of awareness. But what I wouldn't do is go like searching for one thing. Like what I don't think this appropriate is like um, the market analysis of like figure out what everyone's charging. And like we're going to like – because they're charging this and we're char they're charging that and they're charging this. We want to position ourselves at this place right here in the market. We want to be above average but we don't want to be a premium brand. That's – that to me is like, because you don't understand. If you do that, you're looking at just one thing. You're going to miss the forest by looking at the tree. And what you're just going to see is like a whole bunch of singular trees. And what you need to do instead is just like this greater level of awareness of like what in that, in that example, you might be positioning yourself, but you're only taking consideration um, pricing, but you don't realize the oh, total product offering that they're offering and the reputation that they have within the community and the location that they have. And 
So to me, I don't want to be super focused. It's also like um, if you have one eye on the competition, you can have only one eye on your own journey and you might stumble and fall. So to me, it's like have two eyes on your journey, but be willing to look around a little bit and just have an awareness of what's going on in your space. Um, cause if you, otherwise you get kind of like all consumed by everyone else and you end up chasing a bunch of white rabbits that, um, ultimately you don't want to catch. Love that. Do I, I'm actually curious, Patrick, you're so like, I, I want to hear, I know we don't usually do this in two minute drills, but I'd love to hear your take on this question. Yeah, no. Um, what I would say, <clears throat> I love your answer. I think you're spot on. I think what I would add to it is you want to, I would suggest you look around at what else the other offerings are, right? You've got to put yourself in the position of somebody who you want to serve. So you've got to say, okay, well, what else might they say yes to, if not me? And so you've got to look at, okay, well, what's everybody else doing? And then the hard part is saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to figure out what you're doing so that I can figure out how I can be different than that. I'm going to serve a different person. I'm going to serve the, the kind of person in a different way. I'm going to make it easy for the person I want to serve to say yes to me, not by charging $15 less, not even by trying to be better, but by being different enough that when they see what I'm doing, they realize, oh, that's for me, or I, I can't get that anywhere else. That's what I want. Love, love, love that answer. That, that spurs another thought for me is um, what, what, I, uh, what we're trying to really do is, um, in a sense, like create some sort of differentiation create a moat around us, right? That like we are different and um, we can't just do that simply by like price. We can't do that simply by one thing here, one thing there. It's got to be something um, bigger than that. If you don't know what the other people are doing, you don't know how to create exactly. the moat. Um, so that in, in that sense, I think it's important. I'm a friend. Thank you. Uh, thank you to everybody who sends us questions. Again, you can find me at PS Cummings to uh, submit. Just drop me a DM, submit me a question. We will add it to our list. We'll get to it in a future two minute drill. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. And Ben and I will be back next week for another episode of Chasing Excellence. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.